Do you know these people? You know who I'm talking about? Those people that are clearly better than you are because they drink so much water every single day. I remember the very first time I ever saw somebody carrying around one of these giant jugs of water. And I was like, what are you planning on doing with that? Washing your car? Like, I could not fathom that there were people that wanted to drink this much water every single day. And so then I started talking with them and they started telling me about how bad it is to be dehydrated and how drinking a bathtub full of water every day would basically solve the health issues in my life. And I was like, well, I wanna be healthy and so maybe I should start drinking this much water. So I bought a jug that was kind of similar to this one, but I knew I was gonna struggle right away. I knew it was going to be hard because I'm one of those people that really doesn't like plain water. Are you with me? Like my water needs to have something in it for me to actually enjoy it. It needs to have bubbles or coffee beans or malt hops yeast. If you follow me, it's just like my water needs something in it in order to enjoy it. And so I knew I was really gonna struggle drinking this much. My arm is getting tired holding this up. I knew I was gonna struggle. So I started, you know, it's got like all the little, you know, by 7 a.m. you should be here, 9 a.m. you should be here, by 5 a.m. you should be here. And I just felt like I was punishing myself, you know, drinking this much water. It was like, I felt like a water balloon. I could feel it sloshing around inside of me. This is no lie. Like I made myself sick drinking all this water. Now, I will say day one, I managed to finish the bottle. But when I got to the end of the day, and I was like, I'm supposed to do that every day for the rest of my life? No, thank you. I think I'm okay with being dehydrated. So I put it down, and basically I went back to my old water drinking habits. Now, I'm not really making fun of anybody who drinks that much water. You clearly are doing the right thing. Good on you. Why do I bring that up? Well, in our uh, scripture today, Jesus is going to have a conversation with a woman at a water well. John chapter number four, very famous story. And he's going to use water as an illustration of what has gone wrong in this woman's life. He's gonna use it as a symbol or a picture to help her to understand that although she's been seeking happiness her entire life, she hasn't really found it. And it's no mystery or surprise why she hasn't really found it yet. She's been looking for her happiness in all the wrong places. Now, when we read her story, what we're gonna find out is that her situation is kind of unique. Her situation is probably not going to be the same as most of your situations, but what Jesus says to her actually can be helpful to all of us because every one of us on some level or another are guilty of looking for happiness, but looking for it in all the wrong places. See, we have a tendency to chase things in life that only satisfy us temporarily rather than choosing the one who would satisfy our souls forever. You know, this is what God wants for you. He doesn't want you spending every day wondering like, what's the purpose? What's the meaning? What's my place here on earth? How can I be truly happy and joyful and feel like my life matters? God doesn't want you struggling with the answer to that question. In fact, he provides the answer to us in this section of the scripture. And I just believe it's gonna be really, really healthy. So why don't we just pause? Cause we're gonna read this passage and I just, I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate this truth in your heart. I believe some of you need to hear this. I certainly did as I was putting this message together. 
So God, in this moment, we invite you into this place and we pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work that uh, you promised it would do, that God, you would illuminate your truth in our heart. You would reveal to us the areas in which we need to surrender ourselves to you. And God, we just pray today that you would show us your presence, God, your power, your plan for our lives, and that God, we would be willing to say yes to it because of what we read together here in this passage. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, let's take a look at her, her story. Okay, John chapter number four, we're gonna read. It's a longer section of scripture, but it'll be fascinating, so you won't have any problem. Uh, all the verses will be here on the screen. Let's start in verse number three. John chapter number four, verse three. The Bible says, Jesus left the southern province of Judea, and he returned to the northern province of Galilee. Verse four, he had to go through kind of a middle region of the country called Samaria on the way. So eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Okay, a lot of details there. Just know he's in the southern part of the country. He's going to the northern part of the country. He's passing through a region called Samaria. We'll talk about what that was in just a moment. But um, this reference to Jacob and a well, this is tying or, or linking us back to one of the patriarchs from the book of Genesis. So all you really need to know at this point is that some guy a long, long, long time ago in Israel's history dug this well. It had been there for centuries and the Israelites had used it to kind of refresh themselves to get water in the middle of the wilderness for many, many years. So the Bible says Jesus was tired from his long walk. He sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now he was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now let's pause here for just a moment. We don't understand kind of the, the cultural dynamics that were going on there. In the first century, Israel was made up of primarily Jewish people. They were um, ethnically Jewish. They were religiously Jewish. But over the centuries, there was a, a group or a family of Jewish people that had kind of started to like marry and have kids with people who were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. And so these Samaritans over time, they became what Jews would call like half, half Jews, half bloods, mud bloods, muggles, whatever word it is that you want to use here. They were basically in the family, but not in the family. And over time, because of like the Gentile influence, they had left behind some of their Jewish and Israelite culture and customs. And they had started to adopt some pagan practice and language and all of these different things. And so it was like they're distant cousins, but they live in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Nobody really got along very well. In fact, it was so bad that, um, so we've got the Northern province of Galilee, we've got the Southern province of Judea and Samaria is in the middle. For most Jewish people, if they wanted to go from the north to the south or vice versa, they actually wouldn't go through Samaria, although that's the shortest route between the, the two regions. Instead, they would go around Samaria so that they could avoid it. It's a little bit like if you wanted to go from here to Edmonton, but you really didn't want to go through Red Deer, you know? It's like, well, I'll go through all the prairies and farms and stuff. I know it's way out of the way, but at least I don't have to deal with those folks in Red Deer. It's a little bit like that. 
And yet Jesus decided, in fact, verse number three tells her, verse number uh, four tells us that he had to go through Samaria. We're gonna see why a little bit later in this passage. So this woman is surprised. Like there's a Jewish guy here and he's talking to me. Hey, like there's a Jewish guy in Samaria. That was noteworthy. Then he's talking to me, a Samaritan woman. That was noteworthy because of our ethnic differences, because of our gender differences, all of these different things. And so she's like, this is strange. Why are you asking me to give you a drink? So in verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. There's the title of the message. Now, when Jesus says living water here, what he's talking about is like the kind of water that flows, either water that bubbles up from a spring or water that flows via a river. That kind of water is very different from the water that you would pull up out of a well, which tends to be old and stagnant. It's different water than you would find in a lake or a pond. This is moving water. It's living water. It's cleaner. It's more refreshing. It's usually better water, but they didn't have access to it. Jesus says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water and I would give you living water. But sir, she says, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. So where would you even get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? This woman had no idea who Jesus was. She throws some shade at him. She was like, listen, listen, you might be a good dude, but you're no Jacob, okay? Jacob has blessed our people for centuries. I don't know who you think you are, but there is no way that you're gonna be able to give me better water than our people have been receiving at this well for a very long time. Verse 13, Jesus says this. And this is where the conversation starts to change a little bit. Jesus is gonna reveal what he's trying to communicate to this woman beginning in verse number 13. And I really want you to pay attention. He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them or overflowing in them with eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I won't have to come here every single day to get water again, right? Okay, we're gonna pause here, and then we're gonna pick up. We're only gonna get halfway through the story today, and next week we're gonna finish out the rest of the story with a bit of a different focus. So Jesus is talking to this woman. He starts talking to her about living water and all of that. What he points out to her is that every single day, We, she, all of us, we have to drink water. But it doesn't matter how good the water is. It doesn't matter how much water you might drink in one day. By tomorrow, you're gonna have to drink more. You will be satisfied. The water serves a purpose. It will make you feel better, but only for a small bit of time. And then you have to come back and you have to refill again and again and again. Now he's using water. He could have used any number of appetites. We have an appetite, a need, a desire for oxygen. And so you breathe and it satisfies your need for oxygen for like three minutes. That's the longest you can go holding your breath, right? But then we've got to breathe again and breathe again and breathe again and breathe again. He could have talked about food. You could eat the biggest meal ever. You could just be like pregnant with food. You know what I mean? Just so much of it. But sooner or later, although you were satisfied initially, you're gonna have to go back and eat more in order to get that feeling again. 
And we repeat this cycle day in and day out. We have needs, we have appetites, we have desires. And there are ways that we can meet those needs that we have, but they only fulfill us for a temporary or a short period of time. And so Jesus says, I came to give you something that wasn't temporarily satisfying. I didn't come to give you water that would make you feel better. It would quench your thirst for a moment, but something that is capable of doing it for a lifetime, something that is living, something that is lasting, something that you cannot find anywhere else. Now, up to this point, their conversation is interesting. Like, I think Jesus is saying some really cool stuff here. There's a lot of depth. And you can tell this woman's curiosity is like peaked. She's kind of interested because she's not like, bro, I do not have time for this today, okay? She didn't grab her water and take off. She's still engaging in the conversation. But you kind of get the sense that she's like skeptical, you know? She's confused because Jesus is talking about water, but is he talking about literal physical water? Is he talking about symbolic or spiritual water? What exactly is it that he is talking about here in this moment? I think Jesus senses how jaded she is. I think he, he you know, like when she says there in uh, verse number 15, she's like, oh, please, sir, give me this water so I don't have to come get more every day. Like, I really think there's a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of challenge here. Maybe she's calling his bluff. He knows how jaded she is. And so at this point, Jesus takes the conversation in a direction that she was never expecting. How many of you guys know where this conversation is going? Well, if you don't know, it's a good one. Please, sir, give me this water, this living water. It sounds amazing. Why don't you give it to me? If you're offering it, I'll take it. <laughs> Verse number 16, Jesus says, well, go get your husband. Like, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You have certainly spoke the truth, woman. <laughs> okay, whoa. Where did that come from? Turns out this woman is thirsty in every sense of the word. Are you with me? Like, she's there to get water. She needs physical water. But she's been pursuing something. She's been chasing something. She's been looking for something her entire life. And she's believed that there is a specific well that she can go to to find that thing. Do you see? Like the well, the water, it's all meant to point her to some deeper truth. It's meant to point us to some deeper truth. And so Jesus, he basically lays bare all of her mistakes in life. He says, you've had five husbands, lady. Like, with respect, if there's anybody here that's had five spouses, I'm glad you're here. And I don't know your story. I don't know your story, okay? So, like, I don't assume anything about that. But, like, let's just be real. Five spouses is a lot of spouses for one person, okay? So, Jesus lays bare her situation. He calls it out. He, he, he knows something that he shouldn't know about her. And although this is kind of lost on us, the fact that he points out that she is living with a man that she's currently not married to was like, not just like, uh, ooh, in religious circles, that's scandalous. Ooh, she shouldn't be doing that, you know, shacking up. No, this was big, this was big time. If you were caught committing adultery, if you were caught like sex outside of marriage in these days, they killed you. Like it was a capital offense, you guys. 
Like this was a really big deal. And so when Jesus calls this out, she's gotta be like, there's nobody else here, but I don't know who's gonna show up. I don't wanna talk to you about, you're a stranger. I don't wanna talk to you about these things. Why does Jesus lay her bare like this? Why does he put her on blast for people throughout the centuries to see all of her mess? Is he trying to shock her? Is he trying to shame her? No, what he's gonna do is show her what he means when he talks about living water. He's gonna compare what he offers her to what she has been finding in life up to this point. Jesus is telling us the same thing. And when he talks about living water, we've got to ask, like, have I been drinking living water or something else? Have I settled for less than God's best by looking for happiness and joy and meaning and purpose in all the wrong places? Have I been going to the same wells again and again every day? And I get a little hit. I get a little dose. I feel a little bit better. Never lasts. And then I gotta go back to that well again and back to it again. And I know deep down inside it's not working, but what else am I gonna do? It's the only thing that gives me a little bit of relief. And so I keep chasing, I keep going. Put yourself in this woman's shoes for just a moment. You can almost imagine her situation, right? Like when she met the first man who would become her husband, she probably thought, here he is. It's my knight in shining armor, my other half. This is who I'm gonna spend my entire life with. But then something went wrong, and we don't know, and we shouldn't assume a lot here, okay? Maybe it was his fault. Maybe it was her fault. Maybe it was nobody's fault, but the relationship dissolves. It breaks up. So a little time goes by, and she meets another dude. She's like, oh, okay, okay. This time will be different, because now I'm wiser than I was the first time. I know what not to do, and so this relationship will surely be the one that lasts. Except it doesn't. Over time, for whatever reason, we don't know, it ends up breaking apart again. Maybe the guy passed away. Maybe husband two was going to be the one, and she didn't get that opportunity. Who knows the exact circumstances, but we rinse and repeat this scenario with husband three, husband four, husband five. And eventually she gets to the point where she still wants love. She still wants romance because that's the well where she believes she's going to find true happiness in life. But she's like, maybe I shouldn't even bother with the marriage part of it. You know what I mean? Like, let's just keep this thing cash. We'll just live together. We'll be husband and wife without being husband and wife. That way, when it inevitably ends, because it will, it'll just be easier for us to separate and to go our own way. She's still coming back to the same well, even though she knows it's not really satisfying her. Now, this is not only an issue for women. Men do this too. And this is not only an issue for ancient people. Modern people do this too. Let me share with you something the rapper Drake said in an interview one time. Okay, so Drake was given an interview back in the day with Elle magazine. This is what he said. It was a hard pivot. Yeah, it's okay. He said this. He said, there was a point where I felt I needed to keep the company of a different woman every night. Then I want you to really notice this next line. He says, I was trying to fill a void. But in the moments after sex, I know it wasn't working. Those quiet moments are the realest moments a man or a woman will ever experience in their life. 
The next day, I'd convince myself to go do it again, but even during that time, I knew it wasn't working. Okay, the woman at the well and Champagne Poppy have lived very different experiences. Are you with me? It is hard to imagine two people in history that have had two different lives, and yet they both experienced the exact same thing. They both came to the exact same conclusion that sex and romance can be good, but they don't really satisfy our deepest longings. There are people that are in the room right here today, and you're learning the same truth. But hey, it's not just love and passion, okay? People will go to wells that they know are not really satisfying them, but they don't know other wells to go to, so they return to it again and again, day after day, hoping that they'll get a different result than they did the last time they came to the well. People will chase money or fame or stability or achievement or education or religion or drugs. And all of these things, they're an attempt to deal with the, the knowledge, the sense deep in our heart that something is missing. These are not necessarily, not all of them anyway, are bad things, but they don't fill this kind of deepest yearning or longing inside of us. Something seems like it's missing. And hear me, something is missing. Like for this woman at the well, okay? She was searching for the one, but she wasn't really looking for a partner. She was looking for a savior. She didn't know it. She was looking for the one, she just hadn't found the one yet. Some of you guys are looking for the one and you think they're gonna save you? You think you're gonna, they're gonna fix your problems? They're gonna bail you out of debt? They're gonna make you whole and happy? Uh, can I tell you that's not how it works? There are all these things that we pursue, these wells that we go to and we keep drawing from and we take a sip and we're like, okay, it's good, it's good, it's helpful. I feel a little better. I'm not feeling as good now. Oh, I need more. We go back to it. And the crazy thing is we get caught up in this cycle where we keep doing things that don't fulfill us. They don't satisfy our appetites. They don't give us meaning and joy, but it's like the, the habit, the cycle that we find ourselves in again and again and again. Here's what I believe. And I think this is what the scripture teaches. Every person on the planet is born with a God-shaped hole inside of their soul. And for as long as we try to fill that space with things other than God, we will be left empty and frustrated. That's because those things were never meant to carry the weight of your soul. They never were. There is a, a desire inside of you for something transcendent. I would say it's something divine, something that is lasting, something that is living, something that will make you feel like your life has meaning and purpose, something that will convince you that life is worth living, that you are known and you are loved. This desire inside of us is present in everybody. But we don't really want to turn to God for it. Like that's not quite a well either we know about or we're willing to go draw from. So instead we turn to all of these other wells. We try to substitute God to fill this God-sized void inside of us. But how many guys know you cannot substitute something and then expect it to be as good as the original? That is not how it works. Listen, I don't care what the advertising says. Beyond Meat will never be as good as meat meat. Zero percent milk cannot compete with three percent. It just can't. 
okay? The people coming off the bench will never be as good or as effective as the starters on the floor, all right? Substitutes, they can, they can fill the gap a little bit, but they can't, really, they can't really do what the original was meant to do. There is a desire inside of you for something bigger, something deeper, something eternal, and you're trying to fill it with small, temporary things. No wonder we're not happy. No wonder we don't feel satisfied. C.S. Lewis, he made this argument. I love it. It's really, really good. He made it a long time ago, but it's always stuck with me. He basically talked about appetites and satisfaction. He said this. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. He's like, look, think about it like this, okay? You have a desire for air and air exists. You have a desire for food and food exists. Babies have a desire for milk and milk exists, right? There are these desires and appetites that we have and there is something corresponding to it in the world to satisfy that appetite. The desire and need we have to connect with God is real and there is a way to satisfy, but you won't find it at the wells that you've been drawing from this whole time. Too many of us never realize that we are visiting empty wells. Wells that cannot give us what we're looking for. They offer us something, but they don't offer us what we really need. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes says. Chapter number three, verse 11 says this, God has planted eternity in the hearts of all people. In every single one of us, there is an understanding or a desire that there is more to the world that exists. Now, interestingly enough, not everybody will acknowledge this. Not everybody will say, oh yeah, there's more to the world than this. But we all live as if there's more to the world than this. We all live as if our decisions matter beyond our lives. We all hope that there is some kind of afterlife. We all want to connect with something bigger and deeper and greater than ourselves. Philosophers have a term for this. They call it the absurdity of existence. The absurdity of existence. And you can read philosophers like um, Camus and Kierkegaard, and they'll talk about this, and they'll talk about it in different ways. And what they'll say is essentially like, okay, As people, we have determined that there is no grand meaning in life. This life is all there is. And yet, we live as if there is more meaning in life than this. So an atheist who says there is no purpose, we're just random accidents, we will live our lives as if there is some purpose. We'll create a purpose to live under, right? We'll say, "Eh, in the long run, I guess, in the cosmic scale of things, our decisions don't really matter that much, but we live our lives as if they really matter right? This is the absurdity of our existence. We say one thing, but our actions betray what our hearts really believe. So we are chasing, we are pursuing something. And what the scriptures argue, Old Testament and New Testament, is that the the thing that drives the chase, the thing that springs the longing inside of us is that God has placed a bit of knowledge of himself inside of every one of you. Eternity has been planted in your hearts. Listen, this might be a revelation for some of you. This might be the most helpful thing I say to somebody in the room today, that the reason you've done the vast majority of things that you've done in your life subconsciously are out of a desire to fill this longing for something bigger and better. Do you realize that? You're like, no, bro, I slept with her because she was hot and she said yes. Nope. There was something deeper going on there. Why do you save money the way that you do? There's a reason. 
and you might not know it. Why do you believe and value the things that you do? You might have a, a surface level reason, but when we dig deeper, we're gonna talk about this more in just a moment. When you dig deeper, it turns out that there is a spiritual drive behind nearly everything that we do. And almost always, we're going to a well to draw out something physical in an attempt to satisfy something spiritual. That's our problem. It's like saying I'm thirsty and eating a sandwich. It's like the thing that you're trying to use to satisfy the appetite, it's not meant to satisfy that appetite. See, the problem comes when we try to satisfy spiritual needs with physical things, when we try to substitute the earthly for the eternal. Now, the Bible actually has a word for this. The word is idolatry. It's a big, ugly word, I know. But idolatry is actually really simple. Idolatry is putting something else in God's place. That's what idolatry is. It's like pursuing or valuing something else as the ultimate in your life instead of God. Here's what, uh, another way that we could define idolatry. It is making good things into God things. Like, listen, water is a good thing, but it could become a God thing. Sex is a good thing, it can become a God thing. Money is a good thing, but it can become a God thing. Love is a good thing, but it can become a God thing. Uh, wealth, fame, whatever. Like, we could go on and on and on. We take these things that are like, not meant to satisfy these deep longings, and then we expect them to do it, and it always ends in disappointment. So as we start to wrap up, okay, because we're only halfway through the story, and if I preach the whole thing, we'd be here for another hour. So we're gonna cover this again next week. As we start to wrap up, here's what I wanna do. I wanna spend a few moments just kind of asking some questions based on what Jesus has said here in this passage. And, and these questions are not for you to turn to your neighbor and share. You're not going to write them on the back of the connect card and drop them off at the guest center on your way in. It's just between you and God. So there's no harm in asking and answering the questions honestly. It may just be the thing that God uses to give you your breakthrough. Earlier, Ian was saying on stage when he was leading us in worship, I just believe that somebody is going to have a breakthrough today. The one thing that I need is Jesus. These questions might help you to discover that for yourself. So question number one. What wells have you been going to in life? What wells have you been visiting again and again and again, hoping that they're going to leave you feeling happy and satisfied, but experiencing the exact opposite each and every time? It might be sex and romance. That's a big one. You keep pursuing relationships. You keep sleeping with people. And it's like, yeah, it feels good in the night, but like Drake, the next morning you're like, why? Why do I keep doing this? I don't actually feel any better. Maybe it's wealth and comfort. Again, nothing wrong with money or comfort in and of themselves. But if we make those good things into God things, if we expect them to make us feel fully and finally satisfied, if we expect them to give us true joy, meaning, and you know, purpose in life, we're always going to be dissatisfied. Honestly, I would venture to guess the majority of us have gone to the well of wealth again and again and again, thinking, oh, if I could just get a little more in the bucket this time, then I will feel better. But hear me now, it does not matter how much you have because it's never gonna feel like enough. Here's something that um, a pastor I, I um, like a lot. He said one time, this has always stuck with me. He said this, he said, appetites, are never fully and finally satisfied. In fact, appetites grow when you feed them. Do you realize that? 
Appetites grow when you feed them. So like if you eat a lot today and then you eat a lot tomorrow and a lot the day after and the day after, you know what happens? You don't get less hungry over time. You get more hungry over time. If you sleep with a bunch of people, you're not going to feel like less like you want to keep doing that. You'll keep going back to that well, even though you know it's not satisfying. Appetites grow when we feed them. So the question is, which appetite are we going to feed? And what are we going to end up feeding it? Sex and romance, wealth and comfort, achievement and validation. Man, we really want that degree or we want that title or we want that blue check mark. We want people, actually, you can just buy the blue check mark now. We want people, we want people to see us as a success. That's the well we go to. Everything we post Everything we say, every conversation we have, we're flexing and flossing on people. We want them to see us as a success. Maybe it's beauty and acceptance, you know? She's like, whoo, I want to be desirable. Maybe it's fundamentalist religion on one hand, or it's like really vague spirituality on the other. Uh, Both of those are wells that we can go to every day, hoping that they will satisfy, and they never really do. Could be education and certainty. Hey, could be politics and outrage. Could be drugs and alcohol. Could be fame and influence. The, the, The options are limitless, okay? So my question is not this. My question is not like, hey, what are some of the wells that people go to? That's the question I ask when we're in a small group and I want to start discussion. We're not in a small group. You're not going to answer me out loud. So I'm not asking that general question. I'm asking about you. I, I have my wells. I know what they are. And I don't have to confess them to you just like you don't have to confess them to me right now, okay? What are the wells that you've been visiting day in and day out, expecting them to provide you with some sort of comfort and satisfaction, but they end up leaving you feeling more empty afterwards? Take a moment and think about that. The second question is this, why do you return to those particular wells? What is it that causes you to go back to them again and again and again? Now, look, we have a really hard time being self-aware. This is just honest, okay? It's hard for us to acknowledge why we do the things that we do. And a lot of times, we think we understand our motivations. We think we understand why we do these things. But if you were to really pause and dig deep, this is why, like, counseling is so valuable right? You go to a counselor and they're like, "Mm, you keep saying that you are this way because of that, but have you ever considered it's actually because of that? You're like, oh, that hurts, but maybe there's some truth to it, right? So you, you start to ask questions like, why do, why do I have so many partners in life? Like why? And you might say, well, because I'm programmed by genetics to do it, Dan, that's just the way it is. Or you might say it's because like, that's what everybody is, that's what you're supposed to do. Actually, Could it be that you keep hopping from bed to bed because you have a need inside of you to feel loved? Like I'm talking to you men, talking to you ladies. There is a need to feel desired and loved. And it's not even about the sex and it's not even about the person. It's about something deeper than that. If you keep going back to the well of sex, you're not going to get validation. You're not going to get esteem. You're not going to get love. It might be that you keep posting on Instagram so that you can show the world how hashtag blessed you are. But in reality, the reason you keep posting is because you're afraid your life doesn't really matter and other people are experiencing more. And so you're trying to convince everybody that your life is just as good as theirs. No, no, no. There's something deeper. 
And if you keep going to the well of social media approval and expecting it to give you purpose, you're asking for the wrong thing from the wrong well. You say you get blackout drunk because that's what your friends do at this age. Like we're just having fun, right? No, I would venture to guess that you're doing that so that you can quiet your anxieties and fears. It's like, yeah, for a little while I can just forget how tough life is, how hard it is. There's always deeper stuff that's going on under the surface. I think this is part of the reason that Jesus talks about living water because living water is active. It's churning. It is surfacing what's underneath. And I think that's part of what God offers us. Look, I could go on and on and on. And like Jesus, I have no desire to shame you, but my hope is that you would start to see that if you're pulling from wells that are not satisfying your appetites, the answer is not to go back to that well more often to find a different well altogether. And Jesus offers you the one you've been looking for. So my final question to you is this, what's preventing me from uh, accepting the living water that Christ offers? What's preventing me? If he offers something that's truly better, if I've been pulling from all of these wells for so long and they haven't made me feel any better, why wouldn't I try something else? Let's give it a go. What's the worst I have to lose? I end up back in the same spot I'm in now anyway. But there is at least the potential that you might discover something different. What's preventing me from accepting the living water that Christ offers? Now, it could be pride. A lot of people are like, no, I don't want to acknowledge that I need living water or that I've been pulling from the wrong wells and chasing things. Because like, if we've been chasing water that doesn't satisfy, then that makes us fear that we've wasted too much time. So there's a pride element to this. I don't, I don't want to acknowledge that. It might be fear. Like, well, what if I try this and it doesn't satisfy me? And so I'm scared to even give it a go. It could be doubt. You're like, oh, I have questions. Next week, actually, we're going to see this woman. Oh, it's so funny. I wish I had time to do it today. I don't. Um, she takes the conversation in such a weird direction. Jesus took it in a weird direction. We said, go get your husband. She's going to take it in a weird direction in response. And it's all about her questions about God and faith and religion and meaning and all of those things. And the questions are fine and good. There's nothing wrong with them. You might have questions, but in the end, you have to decide. And so don't let your doubts prevent you from receiving the living water that Jesus offers to you. What's preventing me from receiving this living water? I want to pray for you. And I, I just believe, I, I believe every single week that the Holy Spirit is at work. And even if it's not the best message I've ever preached, I just believe that the truth of God has a way of working inside of people. And there may be, there is somebody here today who wants to receive this living water from Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity to do it. And so you can repeat this prayer after me. Just say it in your heart to Jesus. If you mean it sincerely, you could say this. Dear God, today I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I receive living water in my soul. Thank you for loving me, for forgiving me, and Lord, for helping me to find true meaning and joy in this life. God, I want to live for you from this day forward. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.